Hello, this is Margaret Coleman Frankwitz with another episode of Diabetic Survival or Diabetes Survival. And uh, today's topic is going to be on Maslow's Pyramid. So I want to thank you very much for listening today and uh, being a part of this podcast. I really do appreciate everyone who stops by and takes a listen and hopefully gains something out of this or maybe toss it out however you want to. But I like to mash things up on occasion, and so that's one of the reasons why um, I decided on Maslow's Pyramid. Now, it's a theory, and of course, theories are are good. Uh, It's actually a pretty good theory, actually, and I'll tell you why. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anybody who's taking Psychology 101, they know what Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs is. Uh, Or you can Google it, and it'll show you a pyramid of um, five different sections. And the five different sections... Let me see if I can find it here. Okay, so the very basic bottom, the bottom of the pyramid, is called basic needs. And so I'm actually trying to match this with diabetes and trying to find the self-actualization, which is the top of the pyramid, by the way, of how this would actually apply to diabetes. Because that's what I like to do, is I like to better myself and my life and that of others. And so, you know, of course, I want to share that. And I'll, I'll get to that, of course, in a minute, too. So your basic needs, you know, like sleep and having a roof over your head and food in your belly. Uh, these are your basic needs. This is what we go to work for is we go to work so we can have our next meal, so that we can provide for the roof of our head or for our families. These are our basic needs. This is what everybody needs. Now, the thing with that, and uh, I wanted to mix a little bit of psychology into this, because, uh, of course, your psychological needs are very important, especially being a diabetic. And sometimes we neglect one or two for another because we can't, you know. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute here, too. So what I'm basically trying to say is sometimes we know we're diabetic, but we're not necessarily doing what we know we should be doing, such as going to the doctor, getting our A1C tested, uh, maybe testing our blood once in a while. You know, it's a little bit different for type 2s as compared to type 1s. Type 1s have to test it all the time. Type 2s just have to keep it, you know, in check. Um, basic needs also require certain types of food we can and can't eat. You need to know this stuff. These are your basic needs. And if you neglect this, then you're not taking care of the very base of your pyramid. You can have, you know, a, a, a roof over your head, food in your belly, uh, money in the bank, taking care of your insurance, etc. But if you're not taking care of your basic health, you are not taking care of the basic needs of your pyramid. So this was Maslow's theory. Now, a little bit about Maslow. He was a Jew. can't remember what his first name was, so I'm not going to go there. I can't even guess. But this was um, a theory of his human motivation. And, you know, back when this came out, back in the 1940s, you saw this pyramid everywhere. Everybody was using his basis for everything. 
and I can certainly understand why. It's probably, I think, one of the best contributions to psychology is this actual um, five-step method of what a human individual actually needs. Now, when you're taking Psychology 101, you know, you're just looking to cram as much information as you possibly can period of six weeks, 16 weeks into your head, or eight weeks in my case, because I took an eight-week course, which was even more intensive than a 16-week course. And you're trying to cram all this stuff in your head, but you're not really applying it. It's kind of like uh, anything that you actually go to school for and you learn, but you don't really have the hands-on experience with yet. So you're agreeing you're a newbie, but given time, you start thinking about the concepts and how it actually starts applying to other areas of your life. And I would have to say, Psychology 101 was a great contribution to my life and how I could actually apply some of the skill set that I had actually learned from college to my life. So, of course, this is no different either. Next came the psychological needs. Okay, well, we can call the psychological needs the basic needs. Um, I, I just was starting to think of number two, but um, one psychological needs is the basic needs, is, is how you can think of it. Now, two in the pyramid is your safety needs. And with your ne- safety needs come security, things like employment, love, uh, would be the third one. The, so you need love in your life. Uh, the fourth one is esteem. You know, the uh, praise of your peers, for instance. Um, the acceptance, social acceptance. And then the last one is uh, self-actualization. So that's when you're at the very top of your pyramid, the top of your game, doing things the way that you want to do them. You're the captain of your ship, so to speak. And I've been the captain of my ship, so of course this one hit home. And this is basically when you have your dream job and you finally have reached that peak of your dream job and everything seems to be in place. You know, you got your 401k, the roof over your head, you got plenty of food in the fridge, you know, um, you have loved ones that you cherish, etc. That's your self-actualization. But what was they're talking about with the last three steps? With the love, esteem, and self-actualization, this is more of, uh, um, I would like to say, spiritual self. So the, the bottom two needs are the basic self, you know, like you have the basic needs, the psych, you know, the security, right? So that's the bottom half, that's where you're going to work and you're, you're doing what you need to do, the daily grind, etc. And then the upper half is where you're, you're achieving what you want to achieve and you're working that uh, spiritual self, you know, you're doing your, your daily prayers, you're going to church, etc. And all this actually combines to make a whole person. So there's lots of people that have the basic needs down at the bottom where they're just doing the very basic functioning aspects of life where they're going to work, they're coming home, they're putting food on the table and they can turn around and do the same thing over again. And they could care less about the upper half, you know, they just want to get those basic needs done. Well, obviously, they're, they're missing out on the upper tiers, echelons of, of their existence for whatever reason. 
and of course that does cause psychological problems but you have other people up at the top up their top as well and they're actually achieving their higher spiritual selves but then they do nothing about the basic needs down at the bottom so they're not taking care of like the food in their belly and the roof over their head etc uh, somebody else might be taking care of that for them hopefully uh, if not I mean obviously there's a, there's a piece that's broken they're not being a fully functioning adult so to speak so this is uh, actually quite interesting when it comes to diabetes now what does this have anything to do with diabetes eight minutes into it when am I going to get to the diabetes because I've been talking a lot about psychology and what do I know about psychology well I've taken like three courses in psychology one eight week one 16 week course you know taught in eight weeks then I took another 16 week course in abnormal psychology and then I actually did work in uh, for instance the mental hospital in Phoenix so I, I did actually apply some of the stuff that I actually learned in school in the uh, clinical world and also I have taken um, um, uh, cultural psychology which hopefully I actually got something out of that but I <laughs> I'm not going to go into that subject because I don't know how to deal with that with diabetes because that that is a topic for another day and <laughs> the cultural psychology of diabetes is interesting as well because there is one we do have a culture in diabetes but then we have subcultures in diabetes too because uh, in different parts of the world we eat different types of food and so of course certain things don't apply uh, to certain diabetics as they do in others. Okay, so anyways, back to the, the basic needs of what I was getting at because I'm going to stick to what I was talking about um, or wanted to talk about tonight and that's basically the psychological needs. So, or the, the basic needs of uh, a diabetic. And I think that a lot of diabetics, they get in their ruts or their routines, they're doing the same thing in and out, and then all of a sudden they, they're hit over the head with the fact that they have diabetes from the doctor, right? And their whole world changes. And that person can take two, one of two options. They can either care about it and own the fact that, yes, they are diabetic, or then there's the other half that is going to totally be in denial, not want to change their habits, and not want to actually um, deal with the fact that they're diabetic. And some people have to, regardless, because their diabetes has gotten so bad that they've bypassed the whole metformin phase and have suffered through all of that, which is, I feel, unnecessary. I don't think anybody should have to suffer with this, right? And now they have to inject just like type 1 diabetics do. Know, God bless their heart on this because that's a very hard reality when you have to go from you know being perfectly normal to the next day finding out that you're a full-fledged diabetic now you have to inject and you you never knew you were sick that whole entire time and uh, I think what hit the nail on the over the head on that with me when I was in Idaho was the fact that they came out with this article health and welfare that 7 out of 10 uh, diabetics didn't even know they were diabetic. So obviously they're busy with the lower rung of taking care of business, making sure there's food on the table, and they're hard workers too, mind you. Uh, a lot of us are hard workers. 
these people especially are, they just have not considered their health one of the factors to actually keep them motivated enough to um, actually get that checked out. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they don't want to know, you know, they want to put their heads in the sand kind of like an ostrich does when it's scared. It, it, what they don't know can't kill them kind of attitude. In some cases, some people can actually skate by. Others, though, it's going to kill. It's going to kill most of us if we don't know about our disorder. If we get control over our disease, I'm going to call it a disease here, okay? Um, in the early stages, you're going to have a much better life. I'm telling you, you're going to take less pills. You're going to be a lot healthier if you take control of your of your disease now. I mean, there's something you can actually do about it. You can lose weight. You know, you can exercise. You can, um, you know, uh, take care of your feet better because we do get a lot of sores on our feet. We've got to worry about those, those wounds actually healing. So there's a lot of things that we can do to actually prevent... Uh, something disastrous from actually happening a lot of the time. I'm not going to say all the time, 100% of the time, but close to it. I, I think anybody can actually fight this, okay? So, um, knowing what is wrong with your health is the first step of actually getting better. And, um, you know, I'm like a big fan of metformin, I always will be, so you can't change my mind on that one. Um, especially during the COVID pandemic, uh, now that the city came out that uh, you're more likely to sur- actually survive COVID if you're actually on metformin. Um, there's so many people that need to be on metformin, they don't even know it. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the people who can't take metformin. There's always people who can't take certain types of medication. But for the people who can tolerate metformin, please go on it. Miracle drug is not that expensive and it'll save your life, I promise you. So, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can actually apply his pyramid to diabetes. So, um, I told you about the basic needs. Like, so for instance, you go to your doctor and you're taking care of your health, you're providing for your basic needs psychological needs do you know how much better it is to know like like to know that that you are diabetic but you're taking care of yourself you're doing the best that you can that you're taking care of your psychological needs there um safety needs okay i keep saying that basic needs is different than psychological but actually basic needs is the same as psychological so that was a misstep on my my behalf there but uh, number two, and this is at the bottom, is your safety needs. Um, obviously, if you know about your disorder and the more, more you educate yourself, the safer you're going to feel, uh, the more secure you're going to feel in your, in your disease, or we can call it a disorder if you want to. Um, love, acceptance from your family and friends. This is really important, too, because... There's a lot of people, I mean, if you want to test the waters, go right ahead. And then see how many people react to the fact. Now, of course, please be a diabetic. Don't just say, hey, I'm a diabetic. But I'm going to tell you, when you first tell somebody that you're diabetic and they never heard that before, they look at you like you're ready to die. Because there's a word die in diabetic. They look like, they act like you're going to die tomorrow. 
And I would almost swear that my ex-husband, when I told him I was diabetic, like, he was done with me. He was, like, ready to throw me to the wolves. I mean, he was just like, he didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want the cost or the expense. Blah, 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 blah. It's not that expensive of a disease to actually um, help yourself out with. It's not. I mean, I'd either pay $4 or $7 a month, something crazy like that, for medication. For my metformin. It doesn't cost me a lot. This is not a big deal, people. This is something I can take until I'm like 120, you know, and be perfectly fine. I think I'll be okay with $7 a month. Trust me, I'm fine with it. Okay? Not going to kill me tomorrow. I'll probably die of cancer or, you know, God forbid, something else. Maybe the flu or something. Okay. So, um, love is number three on the pyramid. And this is now we're going more into like the, the spiritual or actual self, you know, the things that we need personally. Uh, some people need their artwork, for instance, or, their, you know, their love of art or their love of shopping or their love of uh, working on a masterpiece such as, you know, a, something from a shop or something like their car or woodworking, etc. Or, for instance, their spouse. Some people are very connected to that love and actualization in their family. And uh, with that, I think when it comes to diabetes, the love portion, I know it's kind of hard to actually imagine love and diabetes. Ah. Well, actually, I don't hate diabetes. I love diabetes. And I know that's a really weird statement to actually say. However, diabetes is not going to be the death of me. Uh, what will be the death of me is probably how people react to it. And that is, is kind of hard because there's some people that don't want to talk about it one bit because they're afraid they might actually catch it, like the flu, which I know it sounds ridiculous, but people think this way, right? But there's some people that will actually accept you for who you are, and they they may not even understand it, but they care and they, they're sincerely concerned for your, your safety and your health. And those are the types of people that you actually want to bring into your life, not necessarily the people who are going to run for cover, because the next thing you know, they might actually catch diabetes from you, and there are people out there like that too, as shallow as it is, people don't try to get, understand other individuals, so uh, they just want to know what's out for them, and they just don't get it, so that's the love portion, and that was number three on the pyramid, the other one is esteem of your peers, you want acceptance of your peers, and that's another thing that's, that's beautiful about uh, this podcast, for instance, and the fact that I actually am reaching out to you. It's because um, it's the acceptance of my peers and those who actually have diabetes. It's because I care, too, about other diabetics. I haven't met too many diabetics, but the ones that I have met, even type 1 diabetics, they seem to not know about their disorder. They just know that they take a shot. And then they continue on with their basic needs. And, you know, their doctor's taking care of all of it, so they don't have to do anything. And, or they may do a little bit, but they don't know a great deal about it. And that was actually the biggest shocker to me, was type, type 1 diabetic who, who knows virtually nothing about their disorder. 
and yet they're going to complain about how their medications are not working for them. And I get that. I, I hear that a lot, honestly. And that one is absolutely baffling to me why they don't do the research on their topic. But, you know, they're just trying to, to live their lives and, and uh, trying to deal with this disease disorder the best way that they can. They didn't want it. It just sort of happened. And so they're just carrying on with it, you know, attached to their side. And they kind of think of it kind of like a, a monkey on their back. Which, by the way, monkeys on our backs, that's another thing. Um, if you're doing drugs, if you're drinking alcohol, if uh, you're doing anything in excess, eating in excess, you're actually making it harder for yourself. And so that's a monkey on your back. And some people, they know it's there, they keep feeding it, the monkey on their back, but and they complain about it, they don't really want to get rid of it. And there's diabetics that are like that too. And, um, so this, this is why I actually do, uh, well, one, I, I have learned to accept my disease, but I've also tried to gain acceptance of my peers. Another reason why I'm doing the podcast, by the way. The self-actualization part, that's the best part. Anybody who's ever worked their dream job, and I have, I've worked my dream job several times over. And I've made money at it, and I've been successful, and I've been the captain of my ship, and I've just learned to accept it. It was it was great, um, but one thing I've noticed about the self-actualization is that you get to the very top, and the only way, place you can go is down unless you want to stay at the top of your mountain there, and uh, or sometimes you want to climb another mountain, that's fine. But the self-actualization is important because the self-actualization, you own it. You own your disorder. You have learned to live with it. Um, hopefully your peers actually accept you with it. And of course you're still taking care of your basic needs, your, your normal functioning, etc. So I'm not saying different things can't happen to your pyramid. Certain things can degrade it. like. For instance, a uh, uh, fluctuation of income, for instance. And that can actually start chopping away. But um, the self-actualization of diabetes, I guess you could say. I guess I could create a new kind of like Maslow's Pyramid for diabetes. I could do that. You know, I, I, kind of, I think I was kind of doing it in this podcast already anyways. So, you know, if anybody wants to actually create one and stick it in a journal somewhere, that's fine. But you got to give me credit for this somewhere because, you know, I'm the one that came up with it. You know, like the Diabetes Maslow's Pyramid Hierarchy of Needs. <laughs> so, um, and actually, if you want to add to that, that's fine too. But um, where is this going with mental health? Well, with mental health, there are some people that are really great with the bottom half. And there's some people that are really great at the top half. And there are some people that they just can't connect the two for some reason. Or maybe they're having issues with that. And I think that's where good, that's actually where good mental health actually comes in. Because, uh, like for instance, if you're having a hard time accepting your disorder, for instance, uh, that, that you have diabetes, then it may be time to actually uh, bring in a counselor and actually talk about that. And you may want to bring that up with them. If you're having a hard time 
you know, for instance, getting to your doctor, your A1C check, and taking care of your health, you may want to go to your counselor and say, look, I have an issue with this. I want to totally avoid and avoid this and not deal with it. Or, for instance, if you're having problems with your relationships and your diabetes, you may want to go to a counselor to learn how to talk that out. Or let's say you're having financial difficulties, you're having problems with your basics, but you've gotten the top, and the top is fine, right? But the bottom half is you're missing a uh, connection there, like for instance, you're having a hard time with finances and stuff. Now you may just need a really good uh, uh, accountant or something, but <laughs> like you have more money than you know, you know what to do with to actually help you with that, but... There, I mean, there are people that are, are completely set for life, but they're still not paying attention to their health. And, of course, that's kind of an issue. And there's some people that are so focused on their health that they're not paying attention to the bottom half. And so that's not necessarily their focus, or maybe they just cannot focus. And so that's like the little break in mental health that, like, for instance, diabetic needs. So, um, I know I'm throwing out an awful lot of new information out there, weird information, stuff you probably didn't even want to think about, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not here to make a laundry list of things that you need to do or whatnot, I'm just, I'm just here to actually talk about diabetes, so um, that's the reason why I'm bringing this up, is because I've been through it, you might be going through it, your neighbor might be going through it, you might want to share this with your neighbor so that they can actually get a clue about this. You know, for instance, there's a lot of us diabetics who know other diabetics that may or may not actually be taking care of themselves. They may just need a little push. You know, it's like, hey, you know what? There's other people like this. And, uh, you know, maybe we should, like, listen to each other. And I try to give good advice on here. I don't try to give crappy advice. I, I actually follow a lot of the advice that I actually give. So <laughs> I trust myself here. Um... But, I mean, you can actually type in, if you want to know a little bit more about Maslow's Pyramid, it's not going to relate to diabetes by any means, but if you want to get the basics of the pyramid, you can go on to YouTube and type in Maslow's Pyramid, and they'll tell about how it actually relates to psychology. And um, the reason why I'm bringing this up as a topic is because uh, psychology is actually, I believe, one of the aspects that needs a, a focus on as well in diabetes but I would have to say psychology uh, that could just about apply to anybody in any field at any time so um, it, you know psychology is not necessarily advice but it's how to put the pieces together of what we have to deal with and um, if you're not accepting, if you know you're a diabetic, but you don't want to accept the fact you're diabetic because you want to put your head, head in the hole and just hide and you know, not deal with it, that's that's one thing. Um, of course, I'm not here to change your mind. I hope you do, but I'm not here to change your mind. But there are some people that like to put their heads in the sand and not think about it. They know that everybody in their family is diabetic, yet they are, you know party girl or the party guy or whatnot and they just want to you know do their drugs or alcohol or whatever and just pretend like it doesn't exist because you know, they want to die young anyways okay i'm not here to change anybody's mind all right if that's your idea of how you should live your life i'm not here to change that 
but there are some people that that are like, oh my gosh, I think I'm not doing the right thing for my life. Now that's the kind of person that I need to reach out to. Okay, so let like let's say um, Sabrina has been drinking since her college days, and she just re- recently found out from her doctor she may be pre-diabetic, and everybody in her family is diabetic, and they're all injecting now, and all of them have been alcoholics. There might be some correlation between alcohol and the diabetes. Well, there is, by the way, um, because alcohol does convert into sugar. I have also heard that alcohol actually reduces uh, blood sugar numbers. But just so you know, there's healthier ways to actually reduce your blood sugar numbers, like taking a walk, for instance. So drinking alcohol is no excuse. Go for a walk around the block. That's better excuse. Okay? Uh, the alcohol isn't good because it does convert into sugar. And yeah, sure, it may reduce your blood sugar, but it's going to be all over the place. And uh, I would certainly say that I've seen some people die uh, early from diabetes who didn't need to. And they were alcoholics. So, and then I just knew alcoholics who weren't diabetics at all died from, from drinking. But that's, that's another story that I probably won't ever get to. So, so yes, this is about taking care of your health. This is about taking care of every aspect of your health. If there's a missing link, there's got to be a way to fulfill it. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about a time when I went to St. Vincent de Paul, and they were actually, they wanted all these diabetics to actually come in, and we sat around the table and we discussed our numbers you know we, we would shout out what number we were I was usually on the low end I, I never could understand it but um I think back to it I was at the beginning of my diabetes stage and so I was always under 100 I was always very proud of the fact that I was like 95 96 or I might be 110 one day but it wasn't ever really bad it was actually quite good it was doing what I should be doing so some of us can actually get distracted in life and um, forget that we have diabetes, at least at times. And our doctor may remind us, you know, are you taking your medications? Um, how many drinks do you normally have? Uh, are you watching your portion sizes? I'm, I'm pretty much past all that stuff. So that's the reason why, another reason why I'm doing the podcast is because I've literally been given two thumbs up by my doctor. I've been given two thumbs up by my dietitians. I'm doing great. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, medications do work. But I can guarantee you, if you don't take them, that that progress that you did, you're just going to race. And I know that too, because I've been there and I've done that. I've been mortified to find out that uh, I had full-blown diabetes, for instance, when I thought I didn't have anything at all because... My numbers were fine, and I was off the metformin and everything. Come to find out that I definitely should have paid attention to it. So even if you're in the clear with your numbers and stuff, that doesn't mean that you can ignore the fact that you're diabetic. It doesn't go away, people. It's there with you for life. I know a lot of people like to pretend it's not there, and some people have gotten near near a perfect level, but you have to keep up with it too. So that's why it's really hard for us diabetics is because... 
we have been conditioned a certain way to live, you know, like we have our ice, you know, like back in the days before we found out we were diabetic, you know, we'd have ice cream and, you know, we'd eat pizza with the gang and we'd go to cookouts and stuff of that nature. And then that, then things just suddenly changed and we couldn't do any of that stuff anymore. It was like life wasn't fun anymore. Um, but after you have control over it and you have control over what you put into your body and how much you eat and all that other kind of stuff, life will actually settle down to where you can actually enjoy, you know, maybe you can't eat that whole bowl of ice cream, but you can certainly have a little bit, like maybe a teaspoon or something like that, just to remember the good old days. And sometimes we have to get to that state before, you know, we can really see that it's really not so bad. It's, it's really not bad. What was really bad is the way that we used to eat before. And we thought that we had to eat, like, loads of something. You know, like, eat the whole gallon of ice cream. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying anybody's having done that. But, um, but, you know, diabetics oftentimes wish that they were just normal. Just normal people. They want to be treated like normal people. And after they become diabetic, they want to be treated like a normal person, too. They don't want people necessarily feeling sorry for them. Just just accept the fact that, okay, I have some disorders. You know, like, for instance, I'm a diabetic. I know you're not. A lot of people automatically think diabetics are injectables. And <laughs> while there are some diabetics that do have to inject, I mean, there are some. There's some of us that don't either. Some of us are just taking medication. Uh, to prevent that, because our pancreas still sort of works, you know, we can kind of squeeze that out a little bit. So we have time on our hands, and of course, you know, a metformin diabetic will probably understand this a little bit more, we have a little more time on our hands to actually work with. And um, there are some people, you know, Dr. Bernstein, I've talked about him before, Now he was a type 1 diabetic. How in the world, like, this is still... I consider it a miracle, even though he would say this like pure science, which it, it is, but you know, God created science, so it's all good. But how a type 1 would actually turn around his diabetes from being severe to not being as severe and being able to change it through diet? Like, really? A type 1 diabetic can actually do that? Well, I've never been a type 1 diabetic, so I don't know, but he's done it. He was definitely a type 1 diabetic who definitely was able to change that around. So, Okay, may sound like I'm skipping all over the place, but I keep getting interrupted, so my apologies. I was just talking to somebody who I cannot mention their name, because if I do, he's going to... That person, I mean, is going to chew me out. But we were discussing uh, diabetes in our family. So this is all the topic, but... It actually goes into this topic brilliantly. Um, of course, I asked him if he actually wanted to do podcasts with me. I mean, if they wanted to do podcasts with me. And they said no. So. Okay, so back to denial. <laughs> so, some people are in denial that they have diabetes. And that's fine because as he or this person has explained... <laughs> Um, some people feel that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss, mind you. I'm going to tell you, ignorance is not bliss. It does not change the fact you have diabetes. It just means that 
the longer you put it off, the more likely that you're going to have to start injecting when you do find out you have diabetes. And so you really need, need to think about your future and how you want your future to be. It's just like 10 years ago, well, 11 years ago now, because it's 2021, 11 years ago, when I found out I was a pre-diabetic, I could have done nothing. Because, and I was actually told that I could do nothing at that time. And just change my diet. Things would actually be better. And I looked at him and I said, no, look, this is what I said back then. I want to take care of my health now. That year, 2010, changed my life and in a good way. Because I was dedicated that year to actually changing my health. And I've always been like, you know, I've always been fitness and stuff to a certain degree. And if I was exercising two hours a day and it wasn't changing uh, what I was becoming, then, then this is where the doctors actually need to come in. Because people often say, watch what you eat exercise you'll be perfectly fine but there comes a time when that does not work anymore because your cells they do get old even though they're replaced on a regular basis uh the myler i believe it is the little end caps in the myler they end up wearing off and that causes a little bit of, of damage to the cells and you know there's a whole scientific backing on this the rigmarole and i'm sure that you can look this up on youtube i've i've actually talked about uh, Dr. Stein, Steinberg and a few others that are excellent about actually explaining the science of diabetes, which they're really good at, and how keto can actually help. But um, a little name drop for keto, because keto is excellent. If you get anywhere near keto, you're doing good for yourself. So um, any at any level, if you do anything like keto or try to, you're going to do well for your health. But Okay, so some so some people are in denial that they actually have diabetes or that, you know, all the relatives, you know, they remind the fact that all the relatives have just died from some kind of complication from diabetes. They feel that uh, their weight gain is not caused by diabetes, which, by the way, um, a good majority of older Americans or older people in general, not just Americans, but people in general, when you're over 40... You're more predisposed to diabetes. If you're a little bit obese, you're more pro- predisposed to diabetes. If you have a history of it, you're more predisposed to diabetes. So, um, if you have those three risk factors, definitely go to your doctor and get yourself checked out if you care anything about your health, because um, that can certainly change things. But if you're in denial, because let's say you're fit, and by the way, fit people can get diabetes too. It has happened. I have met them. And uh, uh, these people, they're, they look very healthy. They look like your average, average everyday people. Yet they have to inject because that's how far they've gone. Yet they've never been fat. And there are people out there who have diabetes who are not fat. So just because somebody's thin does not mean that you don't have diabetes. So there's uh, two types of people. But it's, it's, it's rare so it's more like one in nine um, with a thin profile have diabetes. It's not necessarily that common. But doctors overlook the thin people all the time and they end up dying from diabetes complications because nobody ever tested them. So definitely if you have a history of diabetes in your family, get it checked out, especially if you're over 40. Um, if you even have several risk factors, get yourself get your A1C tested. And if you find out you're pre-diabetic, please get that checked out for yourself.
Okay, back to this this person who I was talking about. Okay, so so they they have all the risk factors, but they don't want to get tested for diabetes. Now, as I've said in previous pod podcasts, one or two of them, anyways, uh, there was a special report in Idaho about how seven in seven in ten diabetics didn't even know they were diabetic. That meant only three diabetics ever actually went in and bothered to get their A1C checked to find out that they had diabetes. Okay, there's a problem there. I was very fortunate when my doctor, you know, he kind of looked at my profile. He asked me my family history. I told him honestly, yes, I've had people in my family die from diabetes that I'm aware of, or that they've had it in their family, or they've had it, I should say. And so, of course, he tested my A1C, but I had to have those risk factors first before they'd actually test. And so after they tested, then it was like, then they came up with a game plan to actually help me out with that. But doctors can only do so much. You cannot leave your health in the hands of your doctors. They're going to do what they can for you and give you the advice that they can. But it's not always the greatest advice. Like, uh, when my doctor said no sugar, I mean, sure, I could have eliminated all sugar out of my diet. That was easy. I wasn't eating any sugar. So that one was baffling to me. So I had to try to find out where the sugar was coming from in my diet. That's how I found out about breads and about the sneaky little sugars that that hide in products. And you got to check the back labels and everything to make sure that you're not getting that sugar in your diet. And you're avoiding any processed foods. That's hard, people. It's really hard to actually avoid processed foods unless you're actually living on a farm and uh, living off of what God has actually pro- provided to you and that you've grown yourself. So it's, it's really hard to, uh, to go all natural, but all natural is definitely the way you want to go. So you want butter instead of margarine. You want grass-fed beef. If you can afford it. I, I can't personally afford it at $10 a pound. Um, quite honestly, but I will choose things such as steak over hamburger because, you know, hamburger is processed. It's not that they're throwing extra things in it, but, uh, with a hamburger and I will eat hamburger. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I do eat hamburger on occasion, but I, I do prefer steak over hamburger any day. And it's just because of the way that's handled and ground beef is usually made with old steak and of course has a distinct smell to it that's not so great when you really smell it you realize that it's really different than regular meat um and the the smell of regular meat so um you get to be like kind of like a food snob uh you're not eating the processed cheese anymore you're eating like natural cheeses or at least as close to natural as you possibly can get you're paying attention to the backs of uh, the ingredients, for instance, on, on the list of ingredients. And so you're not eating things, you're not putting food in your body like high fructose corn syrup or, you know, some of those added sugars that you can't even pronounce. Um, you're paying attention to that kind of stuff. If it has sugar as the first ingredient, you're avoiding it, right? This stuff's very important. Not only do you, like, if you're, if you're super serious about diabetes, and I wish I was, but, um, unfortunately my, my bank account can't necessarily handle the stress, can barely handle it right now, but you're definitely looking at 
farm-raised products because they're just better for you. So straight from the farm, you know exactly what they're eating. And yeah, it's, it's pretty much impossible. I mean, most of us are city dwellers now. We don't live out in the country. If you're fortunate to live out in the country, good for you. Um, if you have access to all the all natural ingredients the way God intended in the first place, that's fantastic. Um, if you're out in the city, though, and you can't necessarily shop at the Whole Foods store, you know, where they have uh, pesticide-free vegetables and um, uh, grass-fed beef, um, if you don't have access to that, you just you got to make do with what you have. So, and I would have to say, okay, so back to uh, this, this place where, and I, I know it's been a few minutes, I, I've talked about it, but it was a Saint, it was Saint Vincent de Paul, I believe it was, or Saint Francis or something. But it was where they were getting a bunch of diabetics together uh, to go over meal plans, you know, what what we could eat, what we couldn't, portion sizes we should have, and testing our blood sugar. And of course, mine were always great numbers because I started off in the beginning with it in ten month program, and I always had the best blood sugar and. I thought, this is, this is all right. You know, if I'm like 110, even, I'm okay. Or if I'm 95. And I used to think back then that anything under 100, then I, I was definitely low blood sugar and that um, I might want to bring it back up to 100. Well, well that's not true. I mean, now I, I've heard of people having blood sugar as low as 80 and they're perfectly fine. Um, I don't feel good with my blood sugar being at 80, and of course it, it varies differently. There's some people where the doctors want it like a little bit higher too because that's the norm for that person, um, which I'm not familiar with, so I'm not going to really even talk about, but just so you know, it does occur where people have higher blood sugars and doctors are perfectly okay with that. I don't know exactly, I don't know much about that. I have not learned anything about that, so I'm not going to pretend I know about it, but, um, so basically, it was a great program uh, to help people learn how to control their blood sugars. And, you know, they, a lot of people couldn't afford meters back then. Meters were a little bit more expensive. Nowadays, I'm telling you, they're affordable. Rely on meter, 10 bucks. You might pay 10 bucks for the strips. And technically speaking, they're, t- they're saying type 2s don't really necessarily need to test as frequently as type 1 because, you know, type 1, they have to manage blood sugar each and every meal, right? Uh, type type 2s, like, we play around with the meter. We're more like the, you know, we get to looky-loos on the meter because we're just testing our blood sugar to see how it affects, like, a meal that we've eaten and how it actually affects our blood sugar and how to get our proportions, like, maybe a little bit tighter. And we do it a little bit differently. So, um, as compared to the type 1s who are doing it to try to decide how much insulin they need to inject them. Because there's not really much we can do. Like, for instance, if you find out your blood sugars are higher, you might want to take a walk around the block or something. But there's not really uh, any food or you know, no pills or any magic bullets or anything that we can actually use on a type 2. It's just something to actually reign in control of our diabetes. So... Um, but the program was really good, and you know, of course, they provided the free testing, which we were all excited about. So we got to test our blood sugar, 
and of course they had actually handed out supplies if we needed it and so I, I really appreciated that program because I learned so much from it I learned so much about food and food portions it was stuff I'd already learned in like a one hour class but they just kind of stretched it out for us so that if we needed strips for our meters for instance we could actually get strips but now even now they're saying that it's not technically necessary but um, always follow your doctor's advice I actually not once have I had a doctor tell me I need to test my blood sugar they just told me I needed to go to a diabetes class and actually learn how to eat smaller portions you know like in a lot more vegetables and you know meat about the size of your hand which is also something that St. Vincent Paul actually taught so um, it was a very informative class in the Phoenix area. I don't even know if they still have it, but it was very informative and very helpful. And it was so cool to actually meet other diabetics, different ages. The youngest there was probably 28, and the oldest there was, we didn't have, um, I think there was a lady in her 60s that was actually there. So it was well ranged between 28 and 65, I guess. And um, it was just really cool to meet other diabetics. And I didn't make any friends out of the diabetes class because we weren't really there to socialize. But uh, it was very informative. So if your hospital or doctor's office or anywhere in your community actually provides one of the diabetes programs, I would say go ahead and take it. It's kind of nice to actually um, talk with other diabetics because they understand your condition because they're going through the exact same thing. And some of them might be going through some things that are a little bit uh, more serious than what you're actually going through. And of course, they'll talk about that and you'll learn from it. And, you know, that's part of uh, your arsenal is actually learning about other people's disorders so that you can either prevent it or know how to treat it in case it does happen. Okay, now with that being said... Maslow's Pyramid, of course, I brought that up. I brought up a, a few topics and stuff, but um, I think I've, I've pretty much touched on everything I'm going to talk about today. I just want you to know that um, I, I do appreciate my listening audience. I do actually talk with sincerity. Um, I do not give any advice. I don't follow myself or, or situations. I don't tell any stories unless I've been through it myself. Um, and I've seen it with my own eyes. Some people think it's a little bit unbelievable, but I'm serious sometimes. I have gone through those issues, the same issues. There's issues I've seen that I have not gone through yet. A little bit more serious disorders. And I hope to God I never have to go through those situations that I've known some people to actually go through. So that's why I share my knowledge with you to um, hopefully help not definitely do not tend to hurt anyone Um, I'm not giving any doctor's advice Um, I'm just giving my opinion on what I've experienced in diabetes and of course if you question anything talk to your doctor about it but please make sure they know something about diabetes Um, but most doctors won't steer you wrong wrong. but if if also if you get If you get some advice from a doctor that you question, please don't just follow it. You know what? Get a second opinion. Question it. Get a second opinion. And that's any advice that you're given. Any advice that you take here. Um, Because 
I just want you to be healthy and strong. I have no intention on, you know, hurting or harming anybody. <laughs> so, you know, just just remain strong. So the whole Maslow's Pyramid, the whole Diabetes Maslow's Pyramid, I think I might actually play on that a little bit and try to make it into my own little theory because it was a theory in, in psychology about the basic needs and what people actually need. And it applies to us. We're human beings too. And we have psychological needs as well. So we have the basic needs and we have the, this hierarchy of needs and the self-actualization. And when you've been through the pyramid a couple of times, then you're like, hey, I finally get it. And then when somebody says uh, something contrary to the pyramid, then you can just bring it up and say, well, you know, I'm working on my basic needs right now. So how can you say I need to be self-actualization or self-actualized when I've already been to the top of my pyramid and back down again and I'm just taking care of the basics, right? Okay, that'll make sense to some of you other people will be like, what the heck is she talking about? So please look up Maslow's Pyramid on YouTube. It's not going to be on diabetics, but it's just going to be on basic psychology needs. It's a theory by um, Mr. Maslow himself, uh, Mr. Jew guy. And it's an awesome, awesome theory. I love it. it. applies to so many aspects of life, at least in here America it does. And I think it would anywhere, really. Um, and of course, the YouTube video will go into detail about that theory. You learn more about it. Okay, so with that being said, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please continue to tune in. I have a lot of other great podcasts if you're, if you're just tuning in um, on diabetes and uh, some of the issues I've come up with uh, and had to deal with and how I'm actually trying to share my, a little bit of my advice that I've learned and maybe some from my doctors that I've actually learned and definitely a lot of YouTube. YouTube it. If you have a question, just YouTube it because I can guarantee you somebody's going to know the answer to it. If not, then go ahead and write me. Well, go ahead and write me anyways. I can be reached at margaretrico2015 at gmail.com or mfrankart0001 at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on my Facebook pages. I have uh, Diabetes Aware and I also have Diabetes and Exercise. If you want to look up either, either one of those pages, and please uh, leave comments. Occasionally, I leave vi informative videos on there, and I have for the past decade. Um, so I've done a decade with the research to actually provide some information to diabetes community out there. So I'm a huge contributor as far as I'm concerned. I'm a huge fangirl of uh, some excellent doctors out there like Dr. Stein Eckberg. I've mentioned before. Uh, people like Dennis Pollock, who's not necessarily a doctor, but he's extremely informative about diabetes and the keto diet. And of course, there's the keto diet movement, which has been known to actually cure anything from diabetes all the way up to seizure disorders. Actually, it was created to, to prevent seizure disorders, right? Um, and then Dr. S uh, Bernstein, for instance, who was a type 1 diabetic who who actually uh, was able to cure his diabetes through the use of food and the keto diet, which is also suggested. And I got a um, interesting little uh, podcast on him as well. So please feel free to check out any of the podcasts that I've actually put up. And uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, giving me this hour of effort to actually provide this to you. 
and love my listening audience from all over the world. I'm, I'm just so pleased as punch that you're actually tuning in. And uh, so I thank you. If this is, was informative to you, please share it with those who may be interested in it to actually listen to it and uh, possibly um, bring them into uh, a little bit more uh, education, I guess you can say it, of other things that are out there that can potentially uh, help them. So, okay, got to definitely end this. Again, love you guys. Tuning out for now, but I will talk again with you later. This has been Margaret Copeman Franklitz, and please be kind to each other. Bye bye.